Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure we do, and I'm sure you have a lot to teach us. Uh, and uh, I'm always so glad when I have a guest on the show who's so thoughtful and, um, you know, has, has really sort of, uh, I, I like to say, you know, brings the, all the threads, uh, you know, separate threads and weaves them together into a beautiful tapestry. And it seems like, um, you know, that's, that's what you've done here. Um, so why don't, why don't we start at the beginning? You know, for those of us who've maybe never heard of some of these terms, Terms before. Um, tell us first, what is future myth making and uh, in dystopian mythology? Uh, yes, I love defining terms. So it's great because we're creating a new language for a new paradigm. So, um, so future myth making is a scientific or a neurological strategy for helping to save life on Earth from extinction. And it's actually a radical artistic strategy as well to derail and dismantle the dystopian narrative, which has become the dominant storyline in the collective mindscape of our culture. Um, through dystopian movies and TV shows, they make up so much of what is um, what I think of as our modern-day mythology. And so it's imprinting the collective imagination with a sense of inevitability of a dystopian future, with you know, a hellish, uninhabitable planet. Um, and also, given that there are actual dystopian, um, end-of-the-world, hellish scenarios being enacted and experienced here on Earth now, the dystopian reality exists for many people um, in reality. And so our ability um, and our capacity to envision any future outcome other than dystopia is becoming more and more atrophied. And in my opinion, uh, we're in danger of becoming visionarily disabled. So I think there's an urgent need for a strategy to dismantle the dystopian narrative to enable a clear, you know, clear visions of something else um, and collective visions of a future other than dystopia. They have to be conjured and transmitted right now <laughs> as soon as possible by every means necessary, and I feel that we're um, being called upon by the future to create the mythologies of the future, which will be the stories that are told about us by future generations of how we figured out how to get okay. ourselves out of this mess. Okay, yeah. so let me... All right, so let me make sure I get it, and let me kind of say it back okay. to you in in words I understand and see if we're talking sure. about the same thing. Um, you know, I've given talks um, when I used to give workshops and presentations. I, I have in quite a while because uh, of some transitional life changes. But, uh, you know, I some of the last talks I gave were on reawakening our earliest sacred stories. And it was about um, going back and, you know, sort of retelling – the stories with a different slant, with a feminist slant, with a goddess slant, rather than mm-hmm. a kind of a patriarchal slant that we uh, that we grow up with. You know, it's the alternative view. It's um, you know reviving um, you know the history that's been buried. Uh, you know, it's looking at the you know goddess as creatrix of the world, for instance. It's looking at Jesus and Mary as a married couple, and you know maybe a sacred trinity with you know. Uh, 
that you know him, her, and perhaps a child as a family. So we would um, you know put new values into the world for the future yeah. instead of continuing to perpetuate um, what has sort of brought us to this. Um, you know this this place of destruction. So, is would that be another way to think of future myth making? Well, um, it's an aspect of it because what you're describing is what I call you know decolonizing mythology. So, going back, yes, going it's it's a way it's a kind of time travel. I just recently listened to your time travel <laughs> podcast from a couple uh, months ago, and yes, it is a kind of time travel what you're describing to go backwards and retell the stories in order to rewire the way they affect our our psychology, but uh, but it also includes telling retrospective stories told from the future about how we um, actually created a, uh, a different um, outcome other than a dystopian outcome. So oh, okay. Like so the stories... Or from the future, or, or or as if we're yes. in the future already, looking back mm-hmm. on our now, so to speak. Is yeah. is that what you mean? Exactly. That's exactly okay. what I mean. And um, it's what it's something that I've been, you know, um, writing about and and teaching about in small, you know, un not internet and not you know high profile venues. Um, but recently, um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Naomi Klein, this actually was just this year, a few months ago, um, made a nine-minute film called Message from the Future. And there it was, the, um, you know, the, the thesis that I have where AOC tells a story in retrospect of how, as a young congresswoman, she introduced the Green New Deal, and it actually was adopted, and how it changed everything, and she's selling it from, I think, I don't know, 50 years in the future. Or something, and then I um, so I was having breakfast with my daughter, and I told her about you know this film. And she said, "Mom, you need to talk about your thing now because this is it's in the air, so people are ready to hear it." You know, because they got eight million hits already on that little film, so it's time to bust it. Wow, you know, to bust it, yeah, <laughs> time to bust it out. Well, I got sure. it. I, I got to, you know, I, I love her, and you're giving me goosebumps telling me that. I didn't know okay. about that film. And t- tonight yeah. she's supposed to be endorsing Bernie Sanders in New York. <laughs> so uh, it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great time to be bringing her up. Um, so just to tell Wait, just a second. Um, yeah. Tell me again the name of her film um, so that if listeners want to go Google it, they can find it. Yeah, do you it's know what off the top of your head? Oh yes, I do. <laughs> it's a message from the future, and she made it with Naomi okay. Klein. And, um, also. Yeah, no, Naomi Klein. She's great too. I think uh, I'm trying to remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has a lot of great titles out there. I, I quote her often. Mm-hmm. Um, dystopian mm-hmm. mythology, though, uh, and again, just yeah. in case some listeners maybe haven't heard that before. That's kind of yeah. like, uh, just, you know, it's kind of like end of the world stuff. It's like Mad Max. It's like The Walking Dead. Those, those would you say those are maybe some examples of dystopian yeah. futures? Yeah, it's a it's a story of the worst case scenario outcomes from you know for humanity, and um, they're informed by. Uh, you know, tra- by trauma. They're trauma-informed stories, and they're based on cruelty and 
uh, domination on some of the, yes, the, the examples that you gave were good. The first dystopian movie I ever saw was Soylent Green with Charlton Heston, uh, you know, where, uh, you know, the, the ocean became, um, you know, uh, completely dead. And, you know, you find out that these little crunchy wafers, which is the only thing that people who were poor were able to eat, the rich were, had other food, um, it, it turned out to be, you know, human beings that were made into wafers. Right. So, you know, that's, that's right. kind of, yeah, those are the kinds of stories, you know, that uh, I, I think are, they're showing up more and more in Netflix and, you know, all the different media, different alternative media um, and on the big screen. So, yeah. Um, right. So that's, that's it, what, what we're talking about, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. And you know, it's, um, it, and this was one of, it, you know, well, I think this is an interesting topic, but I so agree with you. I mean, I think we've been flooded with those sorts of themes. I mean, if we, I can't yeah. think of the titles now off the top of my head, but I know there was a great, there was one with Brad Pitt. There was a remake of the Charlton Heston one where he was like the last guy in the city and he was trying to, a geneticist trying to find a cure. And uh, I, I think Will Smith played him in the remake recently and I mean we're just you know we're, we're getting it from so many different angles you know yeah. another I we're think Matt Damon when we're yeah the rich people lived on this um, you know uh, uh, you know up in space on this you know wonderful um, you know uh, I forget what it's called some sort of spacecraft in the in the you know out uh, you know out of orbit and all the poor were left on the planet you know uh, in, in a poison toxic environment dying you know basically you know yeah. fighting for scraps yeah. Um, yeah. so, so yeah it. I get and that. usually mm-hmm yeah, and they usually they include um, usually some kind of totalitarian government that's controlling everybody, and that kind of thing is usually a part of dystopian, um, you know, storytelling, and um, and it originates. Um, this is very important because the uh, the originators of dystopian storytelling were the religious storytellers of the ancient world, who conjured these stories that you're talking about retelling, who conjured mythological worldviews that were based and trauma, and fear, and distress, and shame, and punishment, and the separation of human beings from nature. So these are the themes that are repeated in various ways in modern dystopian storytelling. So it's a continuum. Okay. Well, you know, I've been been talking a lot lately. Yeah, I do. And, And, you know, I've been talking a lot lately about it seems our culture is just permeated with messages that uh, brainwash us to accept um, abuse, suffering, and sacrifice. And um, I feel like in a way maybe this is another example of that. Um, I mean, do you think the, you know, unconsciously for some and maybe consciously for others, um, these dystopian scenarios of the future, uh, you know, I don't know, they're um, sort of brainwashing us or conditioning us to not expect very much, to sort of just uh, not fight back, to be doormats and just let, you know, the the elite rule us however they see fit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, again, it started, I think, you know, and, you know, for example, in the Garden of Eden, right, where uh, 
you know, uh, mankind was ordained to dominate and subdue nature, and that, the, you know, again, the spirit was split. And then there's the myth of the uh, crucifixion, which is definitely a trauma story, and I believe has caused uh, neurological damage on a genetical level um, uh, to, you know, fixate uh, an entire uh, culture on torture. As, as their yeah. as their inspirational image, so that is a dystopian story right there, um, which I believe right. are you know it was part of the seeds of what we're now seeing in contemporary uh, storytelling. So yeah, so um, so future. Well, mm-hmm. well, and and you know I didn't actually think of it in terms of uh, how religion has. Going has has gone in this direction. I was thinking more in terms of Hollywood, but you know, as, as mm-hmm. I grew up a Catholic in in the South, and looking back on it now, you know, um, it, you know, when I saw Jesus on the cross, as you know, I didn't think about it much, you know, because it was just the norm, you know. But as I got yeah. older and a little bit wiser, you know, I looked at that symbol and I think to myself, you know, they're trying to instill in people that sacrifice and suffering is a noble thing. And that really makes uh-huh. me angry. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a good so, thing to be angry about. <laughs> so can you um, give us more examples besides the Garden of Eden and maybe – um, you know, the Jesus figure and um, some others come to mind? Oh, well, you know, I mean, there's so many of them. I mean, I'm not, um, I did study, you know, um, the, a, a lot of the, probably the same books as you with Barbara Walker and um, Leanne Eisler and Mary Daly and all the, you know, um, you know, people that have brought these um, worst-case scenario uh, things from the past. But I think as long as we have an understanding about the seeds of our current dystopian storytelling, we can understand that future myth-making is the most fundamental way of refusing that narrative because it, it's that, that, you know, they're being holding our imaginations, imaginations captive um, and so this is how we free ourselves is by, you know, um, uh, tracing the roots, yanking it out by the roots um, through various methods of decolonization, which includes, as you mentioned, telling the stories in a new way, those old ones, but also with these new retrospective stories that, um, that tell how we transitioned out of this psychopathic paradigm that's being and that's now on Earth, um, which I call the psych. Talking about words, I call it the psychopathocracy. We've called it patriarchy. We've called it white supremacism. We've called it many things, and I think that uh, calling it the psychopathocracy is an umbrella term for racism, sexism, all forms of supremacism, including human supremacism, holding humans as more valuable than other life forms, and um, yeah, and it's, you know, actively, obviously, murdering the planet. And it's also systematically turns everyone into various level of uh, psychopaths. And what it, what's most important about this, because this comes into the future myth-making, is that the main feature of, the, the, of a psychopath and a psychopathic system is a systemic lack of empathy. And that is what I feel the ancient stories that we talked about before have actually damaged in the human psyche is our capacity for empathy. And these ongoing dystopian stories are adding to that. 
And so, um, hmm. yeah, it's, we're, talk, we're talking about unraveling a 6,000-year uh, psychopath, you know, system that has damaged right. human genetics. Yeah. And that's, this is where yeah, the neuro... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say this is where um, the neuroscience comes in. So neuroscience has, you know, just... Uh, which totally echoes what Joseph Campbell has told us. But neuroscience tells us that storytelling, whether it's dystopian or something else, it actually does um, affect the, um, the structure of human brain. And it, uh, it, it, it's the word is epigenetics. It epigenetically does influence how the human brain functions. You know, so breaking this dystopian her- uh, legacy is crucial if we're going to evolve as as a as a culture and as a species. So how well? I mean, so we're talking about future myth making um, as mm-hmm. a, as a yeah. way to derail to der, to derail this dystopian narrative, which is breeding yeah. a lack of empathy and compassion, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it makes it you know it, it makes us so callous and. Uh, you know, sure, we can, uh, you know, you sure, we can pull the troops out of Syria. We don't care about the Kurds uh, being slaughtered. Who, who, gives a, uh-huh. who gives a care? Um, so, um, but, but what yeah. is that, I mean, aside from, but, I mean, how do we derail it? I mean, is it, uh, is it I mean, are you talking about more than just um, storytelling? Um, are there more facets to it? Than us all sort of doing what AOC did and what you're doing, um, you know, uh, doing this future myth making. Yes, um, that's an excellent question. Thank you for that. Of course, it takes many, many things, but I feel that fundamental to all of the things that need to be enacted um, is a different psychic blueprint. This is what we learned from Joseph Campbell that mythology creates a psychic blueprint that informs the creation of societies and culture and including economic systems and everything. So in order to create a different psychic blueprint, we have to have a different narrative that shows us something different than dystopia as our end product, as the, 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 that which we are working toward. See, everything that human beings have created, and I think we can pretty much say everything, started in the imagination. So if, if we're having a hard time imagining something other than this worst-case scenario, it's pretty impossible to create that other thing. You know what I'm saying? Or at least I could say that in order to ensure and accelerate this movement that we're, that we're on to create a different thing, we need to start seeing what it would be like and walk around in a different, um, you know, paradigm than this dystopian one that's, you know, battered into our well, heads. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, you know, I, I, I forgot until just now that we're having this conversation. I actually did this. Um, in the last yeah. anthology that um, I curated, I have an essay there speaking from the future, uh, you know, looking, you know, looking back, um, saying yeah. how things changed, you know, because we, huh? you know, elected Bernie Sanders president. <laughs> um, right. But anyway, uh, yeah, so, so I actually That's did this and didn't about. even realize it. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah. listen, you yeah, also talk great. about something called ar- archetypal mutation. Um, so that's mm-hmm. a part of this too. What is archetypal mutation? Yeah, I'd love to talk about that. And just so you know, I have prepared a little um, non-dystopian myth to also share. So, if, you know, as an example. Oh, good. So, um, yeah, good. So we can dial it in and, and well, it's three-dimensional. It, well, what would, would like be better? I mean, um, would it? Do you, do you want to? Well, would it be better to hear that first before we talk about archetypal mutation, or afterwards? Um, I kind of think so. I think maybe we should. Um, I should share that this non-dystopian myth, so that because here we are. You know, we always we we hear a lot of um, people talking about let's not do this, let's not let's not do this anymore. But then, like, well, what are we going to do instead? So it feels like it would be inspiring, maybe for your listeners to. You know, hear an example of a non-dystopian. Sure, let's do it. Let's do it. And, um, do it. Go right yeah, ahead. And I want, okay, okay, I want to start by just introducing yet one more word, and that is it's actually my favorite word, um, which I learned from Mary Daly. The word is biophilia, and the word biophilia simply means love of the bios. That's what it means. And um, it, there's no other word in the English language that means love of the living world, love of the bios. And so I'm integrating this word into my uh, storytelling here. Um, and I think that this word needs to be trended in our culture, even as a strategy um, to de- derail this dystopia, to have a word that we all use. It's just one word that means um, you know, the love of life. So they, um, now we're going to embark on some biophilic storytelling. Um, that, okay. Uh, that switch that switches something in our brain. And so, um, and so this little um, vignette or little story that I wrote has a little science fiction in it because um, that's why what I think uh, you know needs to happen is that we're telling you know exciting stories. We're, we're you know telling stories that have a bit of um, a fantasy in them um, to, in order to, you know, engage one another. You know what I mean? I mean, stories are so okay. blah, 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 yeah. and everything, everything was good, and you know what I mean? <laughs> Got to take it up um, a few notches. Okay, so, so here it goes. It was the year 2019 on the planet Earth. It's a pivotal moment when the biosphere was nearing extinction at the hands of the human species. The human species came very close to self-annihilation in the most torturous ways. They almost set themselves on fire, drowned themselves, and destroyed the whole of creation, the entire biosphere of the Earth. How could they have let things go this far? What the hell was wrong with them? They could prioritize and idealize the economic ideology of capitalism while they passively watched the future being erased from the lives of their children and from other living things. It was 30 seconds to midnight, and those of them who loved the world, loved the creation, loved the existence of life on Earth, were finally propelled into unstoppable action. They finally found the ways to both rebel against the callous disregard for life and resist the fascist imperative to participate in dishonorable deeds, which was being orchestrated by the psychopath rulers. In those times, the evolutionary disposition of human beings necessitated that they must bottom out, they called it. They had to reach point where they could no longer sustain their mechanism of denial and had no choice but to feel the pain and terror of imminent self-extinction. Only that would propel them forward in their conscious evolution. Fortunately, they did bottom out on time because the searing reality of their nightmare finally woke them the fuck up. 
It turned out that the imminent loss of existence, the actuality of which broke through their encoded acquiescence, became viscerally felt among them all at the same time, and they remembered their natural instinct to survive. Their instinctual love of existence, their biophilia, kicked in in its unbounded fullness because extinction was not an option for them. The raw emotion of their biophilic devotion to life on earth was unearthed and resuscitated as they cracked the code of their ancient trauma and broke through the crust of their religiously programmed disconnection from the natural world. And in every way possible, um, they uh, worked against extinction. This was the pivotal moment when, the, when nature, the bios, called us back to herself and we listened. The reconnection to the family of life on Earth was both ecstatic and painful because it reawakened our capacity for empathy. Empathy is the capacity to feel the lived, multidimensional experiences of other people while not becoming incapacitated by them. To physically tap into and understand another's pain without continually embodying that pain. It took courage, will, personal healing, and community support to embody empathy. It was discovered that risking the pain of empathy lifts the veil of separation of people from their true selves and each other and gave them access to their visionary genius to know what to do to awaken biophilia in the collective psyche of the world, to know how to facilitate the rapid biophilic bonding amongst all people. It goes on a little bit. Is that all right if I go on? If I unfurl, unfurl it oh, a little further? Sure. Maybe a, a little... Yeah, uh, maybe a little bit more, um, you know, if it's a little maybe bit about more. half of what you've read so far. Okay, go ahead. Okay, okay. Um, let's see. All right, this led them to become a, utopia, a unitopian species that quickly and systematically ushered in the biophilic era of humanity between the years 2019 into 2025 into the now where the peoples of the earth have now become united in our global quest to rectify the historic multi-generational harms done to people and planet. Um, I'm going to just go into the really juicy stuff here. In fact, in this unitopian society, technology as we know it, um, as, as it was known in the pre-biophilic era, is now seen as a primitive, obsolete means of problem-solving, especially since much of the way it was produced was highly toxic to ecosystems and relied on inhumane labor practices. Although these te technologies served as a bridge into the future, in the retrospective view of, a, of us utopians, most of them did far more harm than good. Um, the unitopians... Uh, I know I'm, I'm skipping around because I know you want me to wind it up. Um, so here it is. Um, it was known that in the ancient world, human beings saw um, evolved as a result of catastrophic challenges um, hinging on survival. Unfortunately, this became their encoded genetic imperative, such that later, even when they had the knowledge and technological genius and tools to create a biophilic existence on Earth. Their ancient psychic blueprints caused them to create all manner of adversity. But fortunately, the Unitopians have transcended this obsolete evolutionary script. We got better things to do with our power and genius. Even so, we realized that these old dysfunctional ways could come back again through any individual as they're part of our genetic history and collective memory. In this biophilic era, we have developed many means to prevent tendencies from taking root. 
and now evolution is catalyzed through biophilic creativity, curiosity, and exploration of the infinite unfolding mystery of creation. Welcome to the biophilic era. Actually, you know, at the part that I skipped, which I won't read, but I'll just tell you, it has to do with how we learned how to time travel in order to give these messages from this future world to the people now alive on Earth of how to spread the vision of a, um, of a, of a biophilic, um, you know, united human civilization. So that's part of the, the story um, of so do you do you have that do you have that published somewhere or I know you're working on your website um, if listeners wanted to you know read it for themselves or read it in its entirety uh, is there a place uh, that they can um, go to yet yeah um, well I just finished editing editing it just before the show but um, I I think it's pretty close to um, being and then I'll I will um, post it on um, my little fledgling um, free website from Weebly um, called Regenesis Center at Weebly.com. Um, oh. So it's just Regenesis okay. Center at Weebly.com, and it'll be up there. I have um, some content, but, you know, I'm still working on it. So when you go on it, you'll be like, wait a minute, there's nothing on this page, but there's lots of stuff on there already. So, um, yeah, okay. That. Okay. I'm about well, to post that. Well, good for you. And I also have a good blog. Good for you. Like good a, for you. Yeah, I also have like a poetry Go ahead. Uh, blog that I'll post it on too, which is um, a WordPress site, Regenesis, the Art and Sciences Mutating Archetypes. And I know you wanted to talk about mutating archetypes too, so. But we're going to have to take a break. Um, it's uh, yeah. We're at the half hour. Uh, so we're going to take okay. a break, and we're going to come back, and uh, we're going to talk about archetypal mutation. And uh, you've mm-hmm. inspired me. Um, I actually pulled out uh, the last anthology that uh, that I put out at the end of last year, Awaken the Feminine. It's part of a, a trilogy that I call Manifesting a New Normal uh, a trilogy that I've curated. And this is the last one uh, that was out uh, early 2019 called Awaken the Feminine. It's not quite so long as yours, but um, I'm going to go ahead when you and I finish our chat, because I don't want to cheat you on your time, but if listeners want to stay with me, um, you know, when I finish the chat with you, Felicity, I will read my short little essay uh, that is uh, future myth-making <laughs> that, uh, yeah, you know, that I put the in the better, anthology. The the mm-hmm. yeah. And of course, that's, you know, you're, you're welcome to, to hang on I'm, and I'm, listen. Yeah, that is um, definitely the the mission is to um, inspire everyone to do this. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, well, I think you should, uh, you know, you're a teacher, you're a workshop presenter. Right now, uh, give an assignment to all the listeners uh, to, in the next 48 hours, create their future myth. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Okay, so... Uh, we'll be we'll be back in uh, in just a second, uh, and uh, what you're going to be listening to um, is an intro uh, that I'll play for you. Something it's uh, something from a review of Joe Carson's book uh, called Celebrate Wildness, and here it is. This is from Jonathan Nightshade, a traditional craft practitioner and researcher, writing about Joe Carson's book. Celebrate Wildness, Magic, Mirth, and Love on the Feriferia Path. I love this book, how special this work is and how appreciated. 
As someone who was young in the 1970s and through the years only found snippets of information on Feriferia, one of the first modern pagan paths, this book comes as an artistic revelation of the core practices of the way of the goddess and gods reborn for the next age of the Divine Maiden. She has clearly introduced the historical background, philosophy and ritual practices of the joyous wilderness mysteries of the fairy faith, illuminated by the marvelous pagan art of Feriferia's founder, Fred Adams. I was very pleased that the high-quality production of this oversized volume makes it a collectible work of art, as well as a testament to the visionary philosophy of Fred Adams. I feel blessed that I received a copy. I will treasure it and look forward to the next book for more of the deep philosophy and ritual practice of Feriferia. Celebrate Wildness is a dense, art book quality, hardcover book. You can get it for just $45 from the Feriferia website at feriferia.org. That's F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A dot org. So as you heard Joe Carson say, um, her lovely book, Celebrate Wildness, is available only at feriferia.org, F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A.org. And uh, she also has another great book out uh, called DancingWithGaia.com. It's a book with, a, with a, uh, actually a film. Uh, a film that's accompanied by a book. So uh, if you're looking, uh, you know, if you, if you know about one and you've realized what a great quality it is and you're looking for something else she's affiliated with, uh, don't just go to the feriferia.org website. Go also to dancingwithgaia.com. So uh, to get back to our guest tonight, I am interviewing Felicity Artemis on the subject of future myth-making, and uh, we were about to jump into uh, what in the world archetypal mutation is. So, Felicity, mm-hmm. tell us what that is and why it's important. Yeah, so archetypal mutation is a process of observable transformation of a type of person, such as a, a villainous hater who, uh, is, who turns into someone who feels empathy for others and whose life and lifestyle is then redirected as a result of this transformation. And, or it could be like someone who is a, a victim who's been, you know, broken but who heals their trauma and then becomes a champion and, and a hero. Those are examples. Um, and, um, and then we can mutate the existing archetypes in our stories to carry out a non uh, dystopian agenda by telling um, stories about them changing, and it could include, for example, just making up some some stories, um, like fictional stories, fantasy, fairy tales, but showing what makes them change, their process of change, and and what kind of being that they transform into, and we can draw from you know real life experiences and real examples of people. Um, who have changed, and I'll talk about that in a second. But, um, you know, it, it, it things like, you know, I, I was thinking that it would be so cool to redefine, like, satire and political, you know, parody, like, you know, all the, my favorites, you know, Trevor Noah and Bill Maher and, you know, um, uh, uh, Stephen Colbert and all of them. I mean, I love them. But however, they're just always just humiliating and making fun of these archetypes that are doing so much harm, which whatever, it has some 
value, it's satisfying in a way, but it's not really evolutionary. To me, evolutionary would be to write stories showing them transform, showing them change. And it could be done in a funny way. It could still be satirical and funny, but where you get to have a glimpse of these archetypes, you know, shifting. Um, and there are, you know, real, um, you know, major um, archetypes that, um, you know, in our own uh, uh, you know, in our own lifetime that have changed. For example, this man, Christian um, Piccolini, who um, was interviewed on Democracy Now! He's got a lot of TED Talks. Well, he was um, a, a one of the head of the skinhead neo-Nazi nation, and um, he changed. And now he has a, a national organization called Life After Hate, where he um, actually, you know, uh, helps uh, not neo-Nazis and other kinds of haters to give it up and to, you know, find who they are underneath all of that um, programming. And interestingly right. enough, Amy Goodman, at, Amy Goodman asked him what changed you, and he said when he had an opportunity to meet human beings from the various groups that he was hating, that they showed him more empathy and kindness than he had ever experienced in his life, and he couldn't hate them anymore. So there's an example of a hmm. real-life, you know, person who changed, and so he represents a template, a archetypal template of um, us being able to visualize that happening, you know, um, more and more and more. And another example would be um, the um, Gail Barbrook of Extinction Rebellion. I'm a big fan of this movement. Um, and she was just on Democracy Now! And at the end of her interview, she told about how Boris Johnson was interacting with a small group of Extinction Rebellion people who start women who started to sing to him about, you know, listen to your heart and let love lead the, lead the way, and that he started to shake and then started to cry. And um, so that was an example of, you know, the beginning of a mutating archetype. Um, the, there's no evidence or proof that this actually happened. But this is, you know, but she tells the story. It's, it's online as a, as a story, and everyone who tells the story says, you know, it might be a, it might not have happened. We don't know whether it happened, actually happened or not. Someone said they were there and they saw it happen, but there's no proof. And that what's more important is that it's giving us something to imagine. You know whether it happened or not. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I and I think a, a good a good story like this, uh, you know, yes. using this sort of um, you know story arc, um, is it makes me think of the story of Scrooge. Um, you know how he mm-hmm. uh, when the you know when the angels of uh, what is it the the spirits of uh, present uh, past present and future or whatever I haven't yes. seen yeah. in a while, uh, but yeah. you know he sort of has this. Um, you know, come to Jesus moment, if you will, and uh, and and you know, redeems himself uh, in the end. Um, so it would that, and maybe like this, you know, what Joseph Campbell talks about the hero's journey or the or the shero's journey, uh, are those kind of the same things? Um, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's all definitely along the same lines. Definitely, yeah. The idea of a um, you know, a person who's been indoctrinated, who from whatever the stimulus was, um, you know, started to question their indoctrination and ultimately became uh, champions of social justice, champions of, um, you know, human sanity, human compassion, and a desire to um, improve the lives um, of 
touch human beings instead of, you know, do harm. And we can find these archetypes also in movies. I'm a big collector of movies that show archetypal transformation, and the very first one I ever saw that I identified that theme was Jerry Maguire with with, um, Tom Cruise, you know, where at first he's all about the money, and then all of a sudden, you know, um, this little kid says something to him that, that gets him right in the heart, and he can't be like that anymore. All of a sudden he's like, I have to care about people more than money. So it was Hollywood and whatnot. That's fine, but it's still that theme was there, and I've um, I've identified a whole lot of you know um, Hollywood movies that I just keep buying in DVD form because I want to create like a film festival that empowers this idea of the mutating um, archetypes. Yeah. Well, yeah. and the thing about it too, I mean, um, uh, it, I think it's also important because it sh- it shows that people can change. You know, because I, mm-hmm. I know for one, you know, I I see some of these people out there that you know just uh, are filled with hate, and uh, yeah. you know, you kind of give up on them. I mean, you shouldn't, but uh, you know, because you don't know why they're the way they are. But the reality yeah. is, I mean, I took a, compass- a, a compassionate integrity training class, science is showing that, you know, these people, the neurons in these people's brains can be rewired. You know, they are not a lost cause. They are not a hopeless case. So these, you know, while these movies might be sort of a sugar-coated, you know, uh, you know, you know, not a very complicated version of this transformation, it scientifically, it can happen and it does happen. And I think if we see more more of that, it gives us motivation and optimism and uh, fills us with more hope. Absolutely. Yes, exactly. That that it, it breaks the narrative. Again, it breaks the dystopian narrative. We start to feel like, oh, there is another story here besides that. And this idea of what you just brought up, which is very important to me, is to not demonize, you know, to, to not, you know, fall into the patriarchal, dualistic um, you know, uh, tra- mind trap of demonizing those who are haters. Like, if, what I would say is, like, if you hate the hater, then you're a freaking hater, you know? So it's, a, it's right, about right. Yeah, change, changing that and understanding, which I know everyone, you know, all the, all the you know, intelligent and woo-woo people and everybody all say, you know, love is the only way. But I'm, I, I would like to be more specific and say that empathy is the medicine because empathy is what 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 has been damaged. And so what has been damaged and taken from us collectively has to be restored and it's restored with a desire, a willingness and a and a and a um conviction to restore it. You know, and telling these stories yeah. again, the real stories, the fictional stories, the fantasy stories, every kind of story will help us envision it happening more and more. And, and then when I say us, right. I mean our, our, our culture, our civilization, because I want these ideas to, you know, to trend, to become, you know, part of normal conversation. You know, 
Right. Well, and, and you know, this, this is such a parallel, such a parallel track to, um, you know, I, I, I teach a lot of Rianne Eisler's uh, principles from the Center for Partnership yeah. Studies. And, um, and, you know, and with her, I mean, I'm sure you know, but I'm saying it more for the benefit of listeners. You know, it's all about, you know, the world is, you know, you're, you're, it's either domination or partnership. And, you know, mm-hmm. and, if, and if you, um, it, you know, if you are in partnership with yourself, if you are in partnership, partnership with, you know, your family, your social circle, your church, your, uh, you know, in, in your workplace, if you are in partnership with everyone um, and, and you strive for that, uh, you know, that's the sort of world you create rather than one of domination and exploitation and, uh, you know, and oppression. And, you know, it's these people who, like you were talking about, you know, if you hate the hater, uh, well, you're a hater too. I would be willing to bet that, you know, the the vast majority of these so-called haters or oppressors or exploiters, you know, the guy who kicks the dog, who treats his employees like shit, you know, whatever it is, um, he's never experienced love and empathy and compassion. You know, he's just emulating what has been thrown at him his entire life, you know, and they don't yeah. know any better or it comes from a place of fear. So we, as hard as it is when we see, um, you know, these politicians on television that are doing horrible things, you know, we really have to stop and think what what warped them, you know, what made yeah. them this, you know, this the the person that they are. Um, yeah. But let, but let's um, you know before we before the we, answer to that yeah, question is you know, trauma, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, they they may be rich, but you know, uh, you know, they may have be entitled. They may have gotten everything in the world they could ever need or want, but they may not have gotten empathy or love or any of the things that make them a decent human being. You know, yeah, they were um, they were usually wanna... at least emotionally neglected. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Um, now you also talk about personal myth making um, as part mm-hmm. of this, you know, this big umbrella. So talk a little bit about yeah. that. Yeah. So personal myth making is, you know, it's a healing modality um, that I'm sure you're familiar with. That facilitates a kind of psychological time travel whereby a person is enabled to visit significant events in their own life um, and imagine an intervention of some kind maybe being rescued or helped in some way by a benefactor, and then imagine how that intervention would play out in their unfolding story into the future. So it's a, a kind of, it's a form of alchemical hypnotherapy um, that affects the mind, again, epigenetically and, and affects the brain's neuroplasticity to, um, to, you know, create a different wiring to a new story, you know, to a different story. So it's not like deceiving ourselves or, you know, saying, okay, uh, I'm just going to lie to myself about it. It's more like allowing ourselves just to walk around in a different possible scenario and see how we feel after we do that and then allowing that to work into our own uh, neurology, into our own nervous system and to see how it affects Hmm how we then approach our lives from this different story told. Well, you know, I bet in a way, I mean, I'm asking you um, uh, because you've, you know, you know more about this than I do, but you're making me think about how um, uh, consciously, um, you know, you know, uh, being in a place of gratitude changes the neurons in our brain, changes our outlook, Mm -hmm. changes our attitude. Is this sort of the same thing? 
Well, I mean, sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, every uh, every way that we tweak our conditioned, um, you know, our conditioned minds um, in the direction that we're wanting to go is going to move us in that direction. Absolutely. And gratitude, of course, is okay. medicine. When when we have something to be grateful okay. for, I mean, it's. I don't think everyone alive on Earth is, you know, full of things to be grateful for right now. I think it's gratitude is, you know, in some way a privileged thing. Um, but um, I wish for everyone to be able to access gratitude um, in their lifetime, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I that that's that's a good point. Uh, I mean, you know, the, the, uh, gratitude is on a vast spectrum. You know, some someone yeah. may own might not have much to be grateful for, but they still have breath. Um, you know, uh, and other people maybe mm-hmm. have a lot to be grateful for. So, um, yeah, mm-hmm. that that's an important distinction. And sometimes, and sometimes um, having so, breath um, is actually painful. So, yeah. I'm sorry. We, we there can you go, go down the rabbit hole, but let's keep going forward. <laughs> forward. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so, so all right. So you talk about using both magical and practical means uh, to sort of mm-hmm. uh, be the catalyst or to ignite a trend of uh, future myth making. Um, you know, to the individuals out there, or the workshop leaders, or the influencers. Um, why don't you give some ideas about uh, how people can take, you know, uh, these concepts we're talking about tonight, and you know, be pied pipers. Yes, good. Um, yeah, um, the idea, you know, to spread these ideas of a biophilic future and retrospective storytelling. Um, to spread the idea of doing it, like you instructed me to give that assignment to our listeners, and the listeners could then give that assignment to their spheres of of influence um, and um, and so on, and to spread the idea of future myth making, and to um, you know, and especially to those for those people who are in the public eye, who do have a platform and a microphone and um, you know a talent for uh, filmmaking, for um, you know, for for dance and art and. So through all of the different, I, I say every which way, every possible way of creating this, um, you know, hopefully wave of a cultural um, strategic future storytelling, and and also to create, um, you know, for those of us who are, you know, m- magically oriented, to create ceremony and ritual and theater to empower. Um, archetypes of a changing humanity, like the ones that we mentioned and the other ones, um, to envision that um, proliferation of people shifting in ritual space, you know, um, to, you know, I don't usually use the word pray, but like to pray about it, you know, to, to you know, fill, infuse that with um, the charge of, you know, impassioned life force energy that runs through us as, um you know, as lovers of the earth and as, you know, witches and pagans and all the different kinds of practitioners of magic to envision empathy seeping into the collective psyche of humanity and just envision it seeping in and infiltrating into the membrane of the collective psyche and healing and transforming humanity to become a biophilic civilization. Um, so yeah, and I think the most important piece I want to say about that is broadcast it. If you 
you know, if you have an idea, find a way to broadcast it, whether it's through podcasts such as yours, Karen, or other ones, or, you know, again, make a YouTube or whatever. I think that um, if this catches on, which I hope it will, or more than hope, I intend that it will, um, that, you know, we're going to be seeing it, um, you know, broadcasted, in, you know, from from every mountaintop, <laughs> you know, and every nook and cranny. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, one of the, you know, I was thinking about one of the archetypal mutations. Um, uh, I've interviewed Matthew Fox a few times, and, uh, you know, his message goes hand in glove with a lot of the, you know, women's spirituality, especially when it comes to um, new archetypes for men. You know, I mean, everybody's talking about toxic masculinity now, for instance. I mean, I think the Joker movie might even be about that, if I understand. Uh Uh, But the idea... But the idea is to mutate, um, you know, that archetype of men as warriors or fighters and uh, mutate it, transform it into protectors, you know, uh, so that, uh, you know, that's that's kind of an idea of, uh, I think, I think one of the mutations. Um, And, you know, Felicity, I was thinking um, you should get in touch with Ava down at the Museum of Woman and the Goddess Temple in Irvine, California. California, and I know you're. Uh, I forget where are you located now. You're not in California right now, are you? No, I'm in Portland, Oregon. But you know, you could. I mean, I've done presentations there where we have had mm-hmm. people, um, you know, Skype in and uh, and give little talks. Um, you know, Ava oh, really yeah, might I'm, be I'm interested. Yeah, yeah, you that. should fact, get in touch with in her. Fact, um, I'm yeah, I'm working on after, you know, keeping a low profile for my whole adult life and just kind of being in this little sort of fringy, you know, realm um, and not really putting myself out there. I've written a TED Talk about this, which I, is called uh, How Time Travel Movies Can Save the World. And uh, it's interesting because I was possibly going to apply in Irvine. So um, I'm, getting, I'm getting my ducks in a row to start to um, uh, see which, which TED, TEDx forum. And yeah, I'll, I'll travel. I'll, I'll go see her. Um, yeah, I'd like to whatever whatever the different ways are to reach a lot of people. I I'm sure that I'll pack my bags and go and go do it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, um, and, and the perfect venue for you is the Joseph Campbell Roundtables. I mean, absolutely I perfect that. venue. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I'm a Joseph Campbell associate. I can introduce you to some folks. So um, anyway, you know, after after our show that, is Karen. over, I we'll love that. Mm-hmm. yeah, we'll 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 talk over email, and I'll connect you up with uh, some of the folks that then can connect you up. Thank you. No problem. I mean, this is what we this is what we're supposed to do for each other. Um, yes. So listen, um, we're ab- about at the end here, and uh, I want to give you the last word. If there's any more, um, you know, is, is there anything I haven't asked you that you want to uh, share with listeners as kind of a closing comment or something? Ah, uh-huh. Um. Well, um. Just off the top of my head, I guess um, I say that um, I believe in human spirit. I have empathy toward this whole story, and um, and I, you know, I don't. I I would like to 
to say that I have to choose to believe that it's not over till it's over, and it's not over because we haven't tried everything. And one of the things we haven't tried is envisioning a best-case scenario outcome for ourselves collectively. And so I think now is the time to, you know, to whatever to milk our imaginations for stories of um, a, a, a brilliant. Um, you know, uh, sustainable, empathic um, ex- human existence, um, you know, in, in harmony with all the rest of the natural world. I, I live in that reality, and I, I want us all to allow ourselves to, you know, to embody that and bring it. Yeah, well, because, you know, we have to remember that uh, our thoughts are things. Uh, it's energy we put out in the world. And, um, you know, if, you know, it's kind of like the, um, the hundredth monkey or the morphic field or, you know, uh, it, it's, you know, our, our thoughts are things that, uh, you know, that, that make changes. And if, you know, we, we just, um, you know, buy into these dystopian narratives and think that, that, that it's inevitable, well, you know, it might be inev- inevitable. I mean, there are people who are already sort of buying into, um, you know, the idea that, uh, we're past the point of no return on climate change. And, you know, I don't know whether that's true or not, but, you know, you, you just never know. There could be some invention. There could be a, a multitude of things that come together like the perfect storm, and we save our butts, <laughs> you know. And, um, you know, especially I do if it's we possible. Digi- and I- yeah, especially if we can visualize that. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. especially if we can visualize it. Yeah. That that will okay. definitely tip. If the scale is tippable, I believe that will tip the scale in a, in a good way, in a good direction. So we don't know. We yes. have no yes. idea what the what what the future will bring or what the outcome is. But again, I I mean I can't I can't leave this earth without trying everything that that I can think of. So. This is what I thought. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, yeah. um, well, thank you, Felicity. Thank you so much. And one more time, slowly, because it's a, it's a little bit of a complicated website. Uh, give, your, give your website uh, one more time uh, in case people didn't have a pencil before when you mentioned it. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I just want to also say I want to imagine all this on the big screen, okay, so that it's something that is, is common to the masses. That's it. I want to say that. Um, all right. Um, so, well, it's like I say, it's a little fledgling website. It's called uh, ReGenesis, like uh, Genesis again, R-E-G-E-N-E-S-I-S, center at weebly.com. Yeah. Yeah. I, I went for a free website, and what is so it, what, that's what it is. What is what is it after Regenesis Center? It, that's the part I didn't quite understand. Do you want to spell that? Oh. Uh, Regenesis Center at Weebly. Oh, Weebly is W-E-E-B-L-Y. <laughs> Weebly. Oh, Weebly. Okay, like a weed. Yeah. Like, like you pull a weed. No. Okay, got it, got not it. Weed. No, not like, not like weed. It is W-E-E-B as in boy or B as in belly. How about that? B L E uh, L Y, sorry. So it's W E E. Got it. B as in that's it. L Y. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Okay. Yeah. 
Awesome. Weebly. Awesome. Okay, we, I think yeah. we got it now. We got it now. Great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, listen, okay. I, I want to thank you for being on the show, and uh, I want to invite you to stick around if you like, because uh, you've inspired me to go ahead and read my future myth-making uh, little essay. And, um, okay. you know, if you have the time, stick with me. Uh, if not, okay. I understand if you have to say adios, Okay. Okay. All right. But, I'm more more likely to right. say adiosa. Okay. <laughs> all right. Okay. All right then. Thank, thank you, Felicity. Thank bye you. bye. Good night. Thank you, Karen. Thank you for the conversation. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And if you uh, if you enjoyed the conversation and you think it would be helpful, uh, please feel free to put the link on your new website. Okay. Absolutely. Will do. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Good night. Okay, good night, Okay, so good night. All right, so listeners, if you want to stick around with me for just a, 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 you know, five or ten more minutes, um, Felicity has inspired me uh, because I've actually done, uh, without knowing what she has recommended, uh, did a future myth-making um, essay here, and it can be found in the last anthology that I put out, uh, which was uh, the end of 2018, the beginning of 2019, uh, it was the third anthology that I've curated. It's in the Manifesting a New Normal series. Uh, this one is called Awaken the Feminine, Dismantling Domination to Restore Balance on Mother Earth. And um, uh, and the last essay in the book uh, is mine, and it's called In the Not-Too-Distant Future, A Prophecy. And this is what it says. Uh, Once upon a time in the not-too-distant future, you awoke from a long, long dream. As you stretched and wiped the sleep from your eyes, you noticed you felt strangely at peace, satisfied, content. Then it all came back to you. You, along with all the other Pied Pipers out there, you who were one of the light bringers for the sacred feminine, carrying her torch, you were finally reaping the rewards for your years of teaching, sharing, and caring. Finally, the world had awakened and matured. Majorities understand the benefits of partnership and collaboration for the common good. Gone are the days of suffering, exploitation, and austerity. Gone are the days of the disconnect between what we hold as sacred and the values of our culture. As you lay there, hearing outside your window the birds chirping and the children playing, you reflect on how all children, no matter their skin color, are valued as our future. Women are once again held in high esteem and considered jewels in our crown and our sacred life givers. A new and respected profession for women is being a priestess of goddess out in our communities. Men have slipped into their evolving roles of protectors, lovers, and nurturers, and no longer feel the pressures of patriarchy to be the toughest and wield power over others. They can be their authentic selves, as can women. We can all be exactly who we were meant to be. No more of those stifling little boxes imposed upon us by archaic rules created by man-made dogmas. Goddess had liberated us, helped us to see the value in ourselves. Many more of us are now empowered in the knowledge we are part of her, the great she. We truly believe that we are all sacred and are each a divine spark, a leaf of her tree of life, facets of her diamond. We are an interdependent, interconnected web, and across the world, all of humanity was realizing the importance of the we and the us instead of the I and the me. 
Money and credit are now obsolete. Greed is seen as an emotional disorder to be cured, and anyone still tempted to practice taking more than they need is quickly treated to the love and compassion they so desperately need to rid themselves of this dis-ease. Everyone now has all that they need. Everyone can pursue the education and job they desire. In fact, after graduating college, everyone is encouraged to travel to other countries, getting to know other cultures. Service to others is the rule we live by. We have supportive communities where health care is a right of everyone, women no longer retire in poverty, and children no longer go to bed hungry. The torture of female genital mutilation is no more. People the world over have clean water to drink. The elderly can live out their lives in dignity and respect as their experience and wisdom is valued by their communities. There is uh, there is no corporate-controlled media. Real investigative journalism has returned and informs the people of the job their elected officials are doing, and they are the watchdogs keeping tabs on multinational corporations. Bosses are no longer paid 300 to 500 times more than their workers, and companies pay their taxes. Faith in elections and democracy has been restored. Governments serve the people now. Corruption or exploiting humanity or the earth is not tolerated under any circumstances and is now punishable by life in prison, where the incarcerated are rehabilitated and trained to be in service to humanity. Corporations are no longer enabled to poison the earth and genetically modified foods must be labeled. Millions are now vegans and animal suffering in factory farms is no longer allowed. Science and technology is used to safely remedy climate change and feed the many people on the planet. Water and energy are seen as gifts of goddess and are given freely to all humans. No longer are we at the mercy of corporations domineering the earth and selling our mother's resources for their profits. We now speak to our children of our quality of life, our dreams, and our future with certainty. People are no longer living in fear. Gone are the days when people are polarized by sexism, racism, homophobia, or any of the ideas that once divided us. They all now recognize that strategy to divide and then conquer us and steal our collective power. Many can remember when all of this was a pipe dream, when people were told humanity is violent and has always been, when people were told they were lousy takers because they wanted our tax dollars go into a better quality of life for us all. Most people finally started paying attention to those Scandinavian countries that were doing things right. The military-industrial complex has been cut out of business, and companies can no longer frack. In fact, energy companies must now invest only in clean and green energy. The oceans are healing, and people now understand the importance of living close to nature so that they feel healthy and empowered. Pretty soon, they say, cancer will be a disease of the past, and they're going to have those personal transporters online so we can actually beam from one end of the planet to the other in minutes. Yes, all the marches and all the activism was worth it. Goddess temples are now in every community, and no longer is religion used to oppress and control people's lives. The patriarchal religions are dwindling and are quickly fading away or shifting away from divisive liturgies. Few people want to be associated with these ideas that harmed so many for so long. Our myths are now stories that empower us and encourage us to be the best and most authentic we can be. Well, 
I guess you'd better start thinking about getting up and out of bed and stop reflecting on the past. Today is an important day. It's actually a holiday, one of many new ones on the calendar. Besides honoring holidays, along with the wheel of the year, communities now honor the divine feminine in processions in the street as in ancient times. There are holidays honoring many of our foremothers, like Rianne Eisler, who showed us what's good for women is good for the world. And another favorite holiday is dedicated to Bernie Sanders, who awakened the sleeping masses. People still tell his story of how, with one tweet, he could fill stadiums on a day's notice. He sure got those millennials activated. That changed everything. Yes, the world has changed. Enough people came together to cause that important tipping point. Now you just have to hold on to the progress made. You mustn't get complacent or go back to sitting on the couch focused on our phones. You must be ever vigilant. But you've learned if people of all stripes stick together, if people won't let any propaganda divide them, there is nothing solidarity can't accomplish. As you will it, so shall it be. And that was my little future myth-making there. <laughs> so anyway, that was an Awaken the Feminine, Dismantling Domination to Restore Balance on Mother Earth. And there's lots of other good stuff in here from lots of great writers. Uh, well, that about does it for me tonight, uh, listeners. I want to thank you for tuning in. Uh, as always, I will be back with you uh, again next Wednesday and every Wednesday moving forward. We might have some extra shows around the holidays because I know a lot of you write me and say uh, it's when you're in the airport or uh, it traveling and, you know, you have that downtime that you really have time to go through the archives and there's lots of stuff there. But uh, I might have a few extra guests. Uh, as um, gifts to you uh, for the holiday. We'll see. We'll see how that all goes. Um, Okie doke. Um, that about does it for me. Uh, pretty soon here, uh, the the veil will be thin. Samhain is approaching, um, but we'll talk more about that uh, as uh, as we get closer. I have a great show for you. Uh, Halloween special. Uh, an author is coming on the show talking about our familiars. Okie doke. Um, let me say good night and um, be in gratitude. And uh, thanks to Felicity Artemis for being with me tonight and uh, sharing her wisdom. Uh, she's a wonderful foremother and way shower. And uh, I hope you will go out there and follow her assignment and write your own myth uh, like we discussed tonight. Uh, thank you very much, dear listeners. Until next Wednesday, this is Karen Tate, Voices of the Sacred Feminine, signing off. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.